All the earth will shout His praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will say, Great are you, Lord. Sometimes when I look out and I'm praying for you before the message starts, you know, I ask, Lord, you know, just show me what our people are dealing with. And, and it seems to be kind of congruent in, in both of our services today that some of you came in today and you have the weight of the world on your shoulder. You're hurting, you're broken, you don't know how tomorrow is even going to play out or how much more you can take. But I want you to notice in that lyric it said, these bones will say, bones, bones represent death. But being able to rise up above the ashes and the things that would weigh us down. We have a God who raised his son from the dead. And that same Jesus is still alive and that's the one that we sing to today. So when it says, all the earth shout his praise. I don't know how I can sing that lyric without a shout in my voice. And So today, before I get started, I, I, I just wanted to take a moment to shepherd you. As I sat in the first service and I was texting with some of our national church partners, I started getting texts back. And I, all I texted them today is said, how can I pray for you? And one of our partners said, someone's coming today that hates church. Another one texted and said, I'm bringing somebody who is of another religious persuasion. And then I got another one that said, you know what, there was somebody in our church that was with us from the beginning and they've decided to go. Three out of four of our, our partners this morning have said, I'm carrying stuff that I don't know how to carry But we have a God who spoke this world into existence. And if you have the weight of the world on your shoulder, I know someone who can take that load off of you. So bow with me today as we pray for ourselves. That we can put the world out there for a little while. All the cares and the troubles. But also that we pray for our partners this morning. There's churches all over the world today assembling thousands and thousands And we pray that the message that they preach find soil in which to take root. Father, as we gather today, we gather in faith. We may not realize it or not, but we do. We gather because we're expecting, God, that you will do something wildly out of our imagination today. Why? Because you are a great God. You are awesome. You're the God who said that if we humble ourselves, that we could cast our care on you and that you would raise us up in due time Lord some of us came in this room today and the world has attempted to humble us but the humility that you're calling us to is one of submission under you Scott I pray that we would fix our eyes on you that everything else that would consume our thoughts our life our attention God that we can set it aside and maybe dwell for just the next 30 minutes in a place of peace That God, as we look in your word, that it's not my words, my interpretation, but that it would be the power of your word that would speak into hearts today. For our mission partners, for those churches around the world today, let your word have its work and do great things. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
If you have a Bible or a device, I want to invite you to go to Acts chapter 13. This is the third message out of that chapter. And we're going to wrap that chapter up today. There's so much good stuff in it. But we're going to be in verse number 44. And the word that I want you to think about today as we start this message is the word resistance. Because immediately when I say the word resistance, something comes to your mind. A definition, and it's probably not positive. But for some of my friends in the room, you may have thought about this. I had to find a place to put it in. Because I can't talk about the word resistance without talking about the rise of the resistance. But if you know anything about the plot of the movie, and even if you've never seen the movie, there is this group in the, uh, that's governing the galaxy that is suppressing people, and there's this group that has decided enough is enough, I'm going to resist it. That's what resistance means, to stand up against. In fact, I mean, one way you could define it is the refusal to accept or comply with something, the attempt to prevent something by action or argument. But, but maybe there's a different way we could look at it. In fact, I think that another way you can define the word resistance is to restrict by friction. Now, some of you know what this is. Some of you are going, what in the world? This is a circuit board. And if you've ever taken apart a radio, a vacuum cleaner, uh, any kind of appliance, you will find a circuit board. If you ever crack open a computer, you will find a circuit board. Now, they've gotten a little more complex than this one, but when I was pursuing electrical engineering, I started delving into this. And those little beige-colored cylinders with little color markings on them, do y'all know what those are called? Called resistors. And they function because there is an amount of resistance that as the electricity comes into it, it resists it, and that performs a function that together with the other resistors produces a desired result. And one of, the, one of the resistors you're most familiar with is this one right here. The incandescent light bulb. You know, we don't see them anymore because they outlawed them. But inside of an incandescent light bulb is a filament. It's a wire that is twisted and it serves to resist the flow of electricity. And when it does, something beautiful happens. It produces light. You put that in a vacuum or in a gas-filled chamber, it glows even more. And when Thomas Edison discovered this, basically what he found out is if I introduce electricity into some kind of a conductor, it has a certain amount of resistance. But in that resistance, in that friction, some cool things happen. In fact, for light to exist, there has to be necessary tension. And for many things to work in your life, in my life, there has to be necessary tension. If I had a violin today, and I put it under my chin, and I took the bow and laid it across that string that is under tension and rubbed it, the friction will produce resonance. Does it not? If you are into bodybuilding or strength training, if you want to get stronger, you have to provide more resistance. You put more weight on the bar, do you not? That's how you get stronger. If, for you ladies, this is a very important amount of friction, and that is called brakes. Some of you know the importance of brakes, but do you know for your brakes to work, there has to be friction? You have a rotor inside your wheel with a caliper that has brake pads, and when you press the brake, magic doesn't happen. That caliper 
it grips upon that rotor and it stops you. And you can put that brake on seconds before you're at the stop sign. It will work the same way. Prolong the resistance, if you get my meaning there. Any of my hunters in the room, you have a bow. If you ever go bow hunting, you, you know that you put tension on a string, right? And if you were to cut that string, it probably hurts you, wouldn't it? But there is resistance from the bow to the string. So when you put an arrow on the string and pull it back, you put more resistance into it. And when you let it go, it launches the arrow. And the desired result is that you strike the target. In woodwork, you take a piece of wood and a piece of sandpaper. That wood resists the grit of the sandpaper. But to the artesian that knows what they're doing, as they rub that wood, that friction smooths the wood and makes something beautiful. Resistance is necessary. Would you agree? Whether it's producing light or whether it's production, that resistance can do something good in your life. And in our spiritual life, we're no different. God allows tension, resistance into our life so that we can be transformed and the gospel go out. As it says in Romans 8, 28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. In other words... Whatever comes in my life, whether it be good or bad, God can bring good things out of that bad. Are you with me? Let's just quote Levi Skipper today, eyeball to eyeball. It can produce transformation in your life when you see the resistance that God allows to come into your life. And sometimes that resistance, though, unfortunately leads to conflict. And if you're anything like me, I don't, I don't really like conflict. But I know the purpose that conflict plays in my life. If you've ever had an argument with somebody and you look at them and say, you know what, we're going to sit here and we're going to work on this until we work it out. And when we walk away, we're going to love each other and we're going to be side by side, even if we have to agree to disagree. I heard someone say, Many, many times that agree to disagree means that we walk away and go our own separate path. No, God has called us to be reconcilers in the world, not to let our differences separate us. That moment of conflict either is a teaching moment for me to be humble or an opportunity for me to love on the other person as they're coming to that point too. All conflict, all tension, all resistance can produce something good. But if I put too much friction on something. If I press on the violin too hard with that bow, that bow will cut. If I put too much tension on the bow, it's not designed for it, that bow will break. If I ride down a mountain and I ride my brakes, those brakes are going to catch on fire. Too much resistance can have catastrophic effect. What we need to know is what can we do in the moment of resistance that can bring God glory and can produce transformation in my life. And so as we get to this passage in Acts 13, 44, that's exactly what's going on. Last week or two weeks ago, we, we talked about how that Paul and Barnabas left the first Antioch city, left and went to Cyprus. And in that lesson, it challenged us to trust God in going. Say going. And in going, we are being led and called by God and as we're going, we get to see what God is already at work doing. 
to produce fruit in this world and through us. And then last week, we, they made it to Pisidian Antioch, the other Antioch. And Paul is preaching, and in his preaching, we learned that we need to trust God in proclamation. And in proclaiming, we're engaging the culture in order to share Jesus to the broken. You agree or disagree with that? The message of hope that is needed to be proclaimed. And in that system, in that Jewish synagogue, were broken people who were disconnected from the life flow of their religious system. But yet that is what they had embraced. They had gathered together. But unfortunately, and this is where the tension of the story begins to mount today, is that in being a synagogue, they saw themselves as separated from those on the outside. And, and we see this still to this day, that when I kind of set up my perimeter, if anything from that outside comes in and invades my space, I don't like it. Because here's what's going to happen. It's been a week. They invited Paul and Barnabas to come back. Some of those ladies in that church picked up their phones, started calling one another. said, can you believe what he said in synagogue today? I don't know about that. Did you see how he was dressed? I mean, he came into our place dressed like that. Or maybe they were like, oh, wait a minute, when he was walking out, did you see him talk to, to that Gentile that was sitting in the back? I mean, we don't usually let them sit in the front because they're Gentiles. And as a week tra- tra- passed on, that same synagogue who said, hey, come back next week and let's have a conversation, the temperature of the room changed. So I want you to stand with me as we read this passage from the book of Acts 13, starting in verse number 44. The next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. Hey, can I, can I, can I just, this has nothing to do with my message, okay? Rabbit. When the right things are happening in this room, people are going to talk about it. When the wrong things are happening in this room, people are going to talk about it. Our community is listening even when we think that they're mute and dumb. When cool things start happening in this room, people are going to get curious. You are the body of Christ. Taking up. Side note, rabbit's dead. Let's keep going. Verse 45. When the Jews saw the crowds... They were filled, you could say completely, with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It was being necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, since you repudiate it and judge yourself unworthy. Some of the saddest words in Scripture are those three words. Judge yourself unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles, which was... His purpose. Remember, God told Ananias, I have called Paul to take the gospel to the Gentiles. So then he quotes Isaiah 42, 6 and 49, 6. I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing, glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spread throughout the whole region. But the Jews, still in conflict, incited devout women of prominence 
and leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas. Drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, as we kind of unpack this passage today, Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and challenge us today. And it's no mystery. Lord, in this room today, there are people that have resisted the gospel for way too long. They've resisted the gospel in the sense of accepting Jesus, repenting of their sins, and believing. They've resisted the call of God to take that gospel out. But on the flip side of that, God, we've got people in here that are broken today because they have continually shared and shared and shared only to be met with resistance. What we need today is your courage to stand faithful, continue to be faithful, even in the midst of resistance. In Jesus' name, amen. So kind of backing up and and starting with point number one, if you want to follow in the study guide, here's the resistance. Here's the resistance. It's in their face. And what did they choose to do? Well, here's, I guess, the first principle is that we need to refuse to disengage. I know that's a mouthful of words, but let let me unpack that for you. When I played football... I don't know why in the world they take a scrawny rat like me and put me on the line. But I remember enough about football that when you're on the line, you get in that three-point stance, and you go up against the person across from you, you keep driving and driving and driving and driving and driving, you don't quit. They refused to disengage. What this does not mean, what this does not mean, listen to me carefully. It does not give you and me militant rights to contend against someone's morality. The gospel calls us to proclaim forgiveness of sins to the world, to those who would believe. What it does not give me is a platform from which to legislate morality. It's called legalism. There are systems in this world that people have died as a result of the abuse of those systems. If you remember David Koresh in Texas from many, many, many years ago. That's abusive. You follow me? Some of you in younger generations are like, who are you talking about? It was this idea that they were using a, a, a legalistic system to bring people in. When there's a legalistic system, there is kind of like a, a membership clique that you come into. That's not what this is meaning. To engage, to be engaged, means that I am going to stand for the truth, but I'm doing so compelling them. Yes, sometimes it's confrontational to point out the sin in someone's life. I mean, he's going to use some fighting words in just a minute, but the point of it wasn't to start the fight. What we see in our culture today is not this. But what it does mean is that I should expect resistance Living for and contending for Jesus. Well, wait a minute, what are you saying? Like, I come up to somebody and say, hey, you know, Jesus wants to save you. And if you put your faith and trust in the Son of God, that He died on the cross to forgive your sins and was raised again, He can give you eternal life. That's good news, isn't it? Oh yeah, and by the way, as long as you're in this world, you're probably going to suffer and be persecuted. Sign me up. Where's Where's the dotted line? 
But you know what? We do people a discredit when we don't tell them that part. Because let me remind you once again, this world does not like you and me. Trying to be a friend with this world will only come back to bite you. And it'll hurt. Because the world does not want to be your friend. This world wants to abuse you. And so when we look at this text, let me kind of unpack this so, this, so it supports into this point. The next Sabbath, nearly in the entire city, nearly the whole city, assembled to hear the word of the Lord. Because news was traveling fast, but this wasn't based on a miracle like in Paphos. In Paphos, they witnessed this man be blinded. Of course, gossip people are going to be going out and going, Dude, did you see that? That guy was blinded. That was crazy. But here... The reputation was what they were contending for, that Jesus was the Messiah. And so they began to talk about it, but then the Gentiles around them started hearing it because he said, therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through him is the forgiveness of sins. Those Gentiles outside were going to mute and dumb idols and laying food and doing all kinds of ungodly things to worship them. And now here's this message That through Jesus Christ, they can be forgiven of their sins and stop wasting their food, stop wasting their time sacrificing to dumb idols. But you and I kind of are similar. When we have something good going, maybe it's our uh, group of friends or it's our Bible study group or even in our church, you know, like we're doing our our church thing. We're, 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 We're getting together every week. But man, I tell you what, you introduce one person into that system and people go nuts. It's, it's just crazy because we, like we like to be comfortable, don't we? We, we? we like our system to be predictable. So we get up on Monday and we have our coffee and we get in our car and we drive to work and we come home and we eat supper and maybe we tuck our kids into bed or maybe we watch the, uh, the, the sports channel and get caught up on the sports news and we go to bed and we do that and we do it and we repeat, 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 repeat. How many of you just kind of lose your mind if something comes into that system? You wake up on a Wednesday morning, you're getting ready to get your coffee, and your kid's in the bedroom, all of a sudden you hear, well, your system has just been interrupted by vomit. And now, your coffee got cold, and you didn't make it to work, you got to call in, now you're behind on your work, and we we don't like our systems being interrupted. And they were no different. The Jews had had come together as a synagogue. They had been told, separate yourself from the world. They had been told, hey, listen, you you need to follow, continue following these laws and these prescriptions. They had been told, listen, those people out there are bad. But that's not what Scripture represented. In the Abrahamic covenant, Abraham was said, you will be a blesser of the nations. That through you, the seed would come. Who would be Jesus Christ? The Israelites were called in this world to be the people of God through whom the Messiah would come. That's why Paul said it was necessary for me to come to you first. Because you are the called people of God in this world. But just because they were the called people of God in this world did not imply that they would have eternal life. Are you with me? The only way to have eternal life was to accept his son, Jesus Christ, the son of God, died on the cross, raised again. Now these Gentiles are there. And they didn't like it. Pick up with me in verse 45. When the Jews saw the crowd, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blasphemy filled. 
In other words, this word implies the degree. They were not somewhat jealous. They were fully jealous. Why? Why would they be jealous? Why, why, did, why did Luke use the word jealous here? Because it also said in that synagogue were God-fearing Gentiles. Possibly these Gentiles, if they were male, had gone through the rites, were circumcised, so they'd be clean enough to be able to come into the congregation. That means they had control over people. They had authority over people. And we see that in the world today. I mean, there's some of you in this room, you've been through some church hurt because you went in and maybe the best thing you had on that day was your blue jeans and you sat down and they said, you don't wear jeans in this church. I say that on the day that I didn't wear blue jeans. <laughs> Go figure. Or maybe you went in and you had some tattooing on your body. And they said, no, you, you can't come in here. Well, how am I going to get rid of these tattoos? Ajax doesn't work. Y'all get the point, don't you? Some of you have been really hurt by churches because they rejected you because of your appearance. And they're no different in this text. He said that, he said that they begin to speak against Paul. What they were doing is they were trying to unravel what it was that he laid out the week before, that Jesus came through the line of David and is the Messiah who died on the cross raised again. And by doing so, they were blaspheming Paul. In other words, they were trying to tear down the messenger so that the message would have no, uh, no effect. At this point, without too much reflection, we can see why many of the Jews heard this message in the first century and became angry. In fact, to them, this was blasphemous nonsense. That God, who told them not to go around the Gentiles, or did he tell them that? Uh, I don't think that that's what God said. In fact, second point, the response of Paul and Barnabas was to refute these extremes. In other words, he needed to correct or tell them, look, you're wrong about your view of the Gentiles. And the Gentiles need to know the place that you hold. That's the tension of the book of Romans. Whether Jew or Gentile, the only way to have a relationship with God was through faith. Practicing the law did not earn righteousness. And so he begins to refute these extremes. Look at verse number 46. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It was, this is imperfect. It was, was imperfect. In other words, it implies ongoing action in the past tense, which means... Paul and Barnabas were not going to stop, stop going to the Jews too. Even though Peter and he had, had kind of agreed that you guys are going to the Jews, I'm going to the Gentiles. But that did not mean that Paul did not stop going to the Jews. In fact, we read it last week. Paul said, I would give up my salvation for my countrymen. And I challenged us last week, do we have that kind of burden for the lost? That, that, that can come across as a shaming kind of attitude, but, but the truth is, is that Paul loved both groups. And he says, it was necessary for the word of God to come to you, which is aorist, it's in past tense, he spoke the word to them, but since you are repudiating it, which means to shove over and keep pushing it. In other words, he was refusing to, to disengage by pushing in, but they were pushing back. This is that moment where there's friction that could have produced something good, but because of the resistance of the lack of faith of the Jews, they pushed back too hard. And it cost them. Like I said, probably three of the, the saddest words in Scripture said, judge yourselves unworthy. In other words, they looked at themselves 
And like I said, kind of like in fighting words, it said, you know what, you're saying to yourself, I don't matter. They had put themselves so far down here that the way they functioned is, I just need to keep the checklist going. I'm going to survive day by day, day by day. No hope-filled, futuristic end in mind. I'm just going to keep on, keep on, keep on, keep on. But the Messiah has come, but I'm just going to keep on, keep on, keep on, keep on. I'm going to keep living my life. It's kind of like this. Say I had a gift. You've got something in your life that you want to buy a present for. Not necessarily a special occasion. You just want to give them a gift. And so you think, well, what would they really like? You know, like for Laura, Laura, Laura likes certain kind of chocolates. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to go find some chocolates. Oh, and I, I want it to like, I want to wrap it real nice, you know, make it pretty. And oh, I got to do it at the right time. I don't need to give it to her while she's brushing her teeth. I, I, need, to, I need to time it right and make it special. Maybe I could even accompany it with a little bit of a dinner. But how would it feel if you went through all of this time, effort, and energy, and you walk over to give a person that present that you poured your life into, and they didn't take it because they said, well, I'm, I'm not worth that. And you're just like, well, yeah. I mean, I, sometimes I've encountered that over the years where somebody has said, hey, I want to buy your lunch. Said, no, 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 I can't. You can't buy my lunch. Here's the truth. When we refuse gifts like that, we're basically saying, I'm not worth it. And that's exactly what Paul said they were doing. He cut to the jug and said, you are saying, I'm not worth it. How many people in your life? Have you shared the gospel with over and over and over? And every time you go to them, they say, well, I, I need to get my life cleaned up. You know what they're saying? They're judging themselves unworthy. You know some people like that in your life too. And you're ready just to give up. But did Paul give up? Paul didn't give up. And neither should you. You don't know when that word is going to take root in their life and produce the fruit that's intended but if you go to them and say, look, I'm one and done, when they knock the dust off their feet that we're going to read in a minute ago, that wasn't washing their hands. That was them saying, well, right now I'm going to go a different direction and get some other dust on my feet. Counted themselves unworthy. And they refused it. And what was driving it? Jealousy. I need to be controlled. I want it done my way. This doesn't look like my system. But I'm telling you, when things come into the system, the system sometimes needs to be broken so that other people can come into the system. The circle needs to be broken. You get, are you following me? You know what? Will the circle be unbroken? Yes, it needs to be broken so that other people can come into it. We need God to, to work in us, to humble us, so that we can see people in a different light. And if they had been reading the Old Testament, Isaiah 42 and 40, 49, 42, 6 and 49, 6, they would have read where it said, you are a light of the nation. It would have said, they would have read where it says, I will keep you and give you for a covenant to the people. Wait a minute, that said I, but Paul and Barnabas said, this was our call. Who's the I? Jesus Christ, the servant of Isaiah, the lamb who sacrificed himself, paid the price. And in this tension, in this friction, in this resistance, the light of the gospel shines. I mean, we can dig into it theologically. In Romans 11, when he said a partial hardening of Israel has come so that the Gentiles might believe, that's friction. And because of that, you and I have been given this great opportunity to be on the team. 
I said in the last hour, I'll say it again. You know, like I was, I was one of those kids in school that they didn't describe my legs as toothpick legs. They're something smaller than a toothpick. And so when it came time to pick teams, especially football, I mean, nobody would pick me. I mean, I, I didn't, at that time, I had big gawky feet and long arms and long legs, and I was clumsy and couldn't shoot a basketball to save my life. I was usually the last kid picked. So let me just kind of chase another rabbit. Are you looking around your circle to find those who are marginalized? They're unacceptable. Nobody wants to be with them. Have you thought about what the power could be in their life if somebody would just take notice of them and invite them in the circle? But you know what? If I got picked, I could have stood over there and said, you know what? They picked me last. I'm not going to give my all. What you usually would see is somebody's like, oh, right, I'm on the team. Let's get in here and let's go. And that's what we see happening in this text. It said, when the Gentiles heard this, verse 48, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of God. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. In fact, the word order says, and they believed. As many as were being, which is imperfect, ongoing past tense, appointed or put in line into eternal life. The Jews had rejected and the Gentiles who from the foundation of the world, God knew that this was the plan he had in order. And they were glorified. In fact, if you go back to that Isaiah passage, listen to what it says down in verse number 13. This is 49, 13. Shout for joy, O heavens, and rejoice, O earth. Break forth into shouting, O mountains. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on them. Why? When we refuse to disengage and we refute the extremes. I can choose to give up on somebody. But aren't you thankful that God didn't give up on you? Many of you in this room that are believers, you have a story about how you ran and you resisted and you ran and you resisted and you ran and resisted. But there came that point when you put your sword and your bow and your gun's down. And you said, you know what, God, here I am. Here I am. And so what we see here now, though, I mean, that all sounds fine and good. But those Jews didn't like it. And it says in verse number 50, it says, But the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated persecution. Third point, this is their reaction. We, in their reaction, need to recognize persecution. Persecution will come. The sad truth, they were worshiping and claiming to worship the same God, but their core set of beliefs have changed. The Jews were like, no, the Gentiles are out. We cannot include them. But by the things that happened in the book of Acts, we're showing that God is now including them. And what was the evidence? They had been filled with the Holy Spirit. Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 confirmed that the Gentiles were being saved because they were producing the same fruit. Remember our Holy Spirit series, the same fruit. And the same gifts were working in the Gentiles. But here's the irony. Just like the Jews went to Pontius Pilate. Are you following me? Wanting Jesus crucified. They were doing the same thing their leaders in Jerusalem did. They went to the city. The same people they didn't want coming to their synagogue. But they went to the city to get them to rid their problem. If the God they worshipped in that synagogue was so big, they wouldn't have had to have gone and done that. 
And you and I, we need to recognize that persecution because persecution hurts. And it says in 51, but they shook the dust off of their feet. Luke wrote about this in 9.5 when Jesus was giving out instructions to the disciples and instructed them, and, and as for those who do not receive you, remember, who was it they were blaspheming? Paul. He said, go out from that city, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. But let me give you, give me, let me give you a, little, um, a little information. How many of you have a Bible with maps in the back of it? One of those maps probably is the missionary journeys of Paul. It might be helpful for you to bookmark that for the next year. Because here's what's going to happen. They got drove out of Pisidian Antioch. And when Paul goes on his second missionary journey, guess where they go back through? Pisidian Antioch. And in his third missionary journey, guess what he's going to do again? He's going to go back through them again. And, and we believe, I believe, most scholars believe, guess what region Pisidian Antioch is in? The city of, in, the, in the region of Galatia, which is where we get Galatians, which is where we get the book of Galatians. Are you following? On his third missionary journey, Paul was still appealing, and he didn't differentiate. He was still trying to reach the Jews, and he was still trying to reach the Gentiles. So here's what he learned, point number four, is that we need to rinse, we need to repeat, and we need to rejoice. I chose the word rinse, kind of talked about it out loud, because it kind of sounds kind of weird. It sounds like I'm about to wash my clothes. But I need to like kind of dust myself off and release the emotional side of rejection. Because rejection hurts. But if you stew in rejection, you know what's going to happen the next time you encounter that person who rejected you? You're going to be combative. You're going to be emotionally charged. You need to dust off the emotional side of that. Focus on the spiritual side of that. And get back in there and repeat it again. And get back in there and repeat it again. And get back in there and repeat it again. Do you know what kills the gospel? It's not the what of the gospel. It's the how of the gospel. Because you live a life before you share the gospel that was like, well, what's different about you in the world? And then when you share the gospel, you do so in such a way where you're trying to shame and guilt them into making a decision to trust in God. And then the vision of God that they have is this God standing in the portal of heaven with a lightning bolt in his hand ready to strike them down. God wants to have a relationship with you to take your sin away and then commune with you. And that vision of God does not work. We rinse, we repeat, and then what did it say in that last verse? They were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And again, that's in the imperfect tense. This was ongoing. And it's almost like, again, you're, you're watching a movie and this scene happens and now the camera's panning away as you begin to see the converts of that city coming. And rather than, here's those extremes, rather than being filled with jealousy and standing firm and resisting, this other group was be filled with joy because they had accepted Christ and counted themselves worthy. Do you see the cross and the ugliness of the cross equating with how much God loved you? You were worth so much that he went to the cross and died a cruel death just for you. And in that, today we sit here and go, okay, well, what do I do this? Well, we need to trust God in resistance. Remember I said, resistance isn't bad. I need to refuse to disengage. I need to refute the extremes. I need to recognize persecution. But then I need to just keep repeating it 
and going and going and going. Why? Because like we said earlier, Jesus said that the shepherd left the 99 to find the one. And somebody in this room today, you've resisted long enough. The Holy Spirit speaking to you today and saying, you know what, today's the day. It's time for you to, to lay that combativeness down, to yield to the gospel that has been preached to you, to repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ to save your life. But there's some of you in this room, you're saying, you know what, I have gone back, I have gone back, I have gone back. Last time I went, we got in a fist fight. Well, you know what, keep going back. God didn't quit on you, and he doesn't want you to quit on the mission. So I want to invite you to stand with me right now, and here's, how, here's what I'm going to challenge you to do today. If you are lost, I mean, I think we say it till we're really blue in the face, but if you're lost and you don't know Jesus Christ, why would you stand there with your arms folded and keep and continue to resist Him? Just today, heard two stories of people who perished this week, died. And it was like tragic, unexpected, dying before their time. How would it make you feel knowing that because of your resistance to the call of God, that maybe they could have heard the gospel from your lips? The saddest and hardest thing for any minister to do in a funeral is preach somebody's funeral that no one knows if they were saved or not. You need to be persistent and continue pressing in. So if you're lost today, Crosby, Fred, Kevin, Randy, myself, we're all up here. If, you, if, you, if you're a female and you want to talk to a female, we'll get somebody for you. But don't stand there in your pride and resist the gospel of Christ to save your soul. If you are not right with the Lord, do it today. This is the resistance. This is the acceptance. And today I want to challenge you because some of you have that family member, that friend, that neighbor that you've gone to over and over and over. And you're ready to quit. Can I, can I ask you to come down here and pray and say, God, give me the strength to do it one more time. You just don't know. Remember, they were led and they went out. But who does the saving work? Do you do it? But how beautiful it is when we get to observe and see what God has been doing in their heart and it come to fruition. Father, as we stand and we worship today, God, you know the hearts of the people. I don't. I just ask that you would touch those here today. If somebody is lost, God, would you please reach down into their hearts and right now give them the liberty to step out and come talk to somebody that they may be saved today. And if somebody is standing here today saying, oh, I'm just hurting because I have gone over and over and over and over again and I just don't see anything coming of it, God, let them come today and pray and let us come around and pray with them and for them that God that you would let things fall into place God I just makes me remember a friend of mine many years ago who was almost 90 years old coming in and saying my brother got saved at 85 years old after years and decades of witnessing and he saw it come to fruition God give us that kind of stamina that we will not quit in Jesus name Amen